Well, thank you for joining us today, Redemption Hill Church. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to the book of Jonah. We'll be starting in chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came down and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Redemption Hill Church. Uh, thanks for watching this sermon. As we go through this, I hope that you'll be blessed as we dig into God's Word. And if you are not a member of Redemption Hill Church, but you've come across this uh, sermon link, uh, thanks for watching as well. Uh, my hope is that you'd be encouraged to dive in and dig into what God has revealed in His written Word. So thanks for tuning in. Also, you can find out more information uh, regarding Redemption Hill Church at our website, www.redemptionhilldsm.org. we got more resources at the website. In addition, to just information about who we are, what makes us tick, and um, why we do what we do. But thank you for, for watching. Thanks for uh, taking interest in this sermon. Well, in an unconventional way, I began a new sermon series last week, Easter Sunday. Uh, we saw from Matthew 12 how Jesus sees in Jonah's experience with the giant fish his own crucifixion and resurrection. While last week's sermon was an introduction, we will now methodically go through the book of Jonah. And then, when we're done with Jonah, it's four chapters in Jonah, we'll, we'll, we'll dip into the book of Nahum. Now, I've, I've received the question, as he kind of told other folks about this particular sermon series, what connects Jonah and Nahum? And, and it's a great question. You might be asking that same question right now. Well, there, there are a few things that are similar. There are, there are some areas that separate the two books from one another. Here's what's similar. God has a call to a prophet to preach against a, the same people, Nineveh. What's different is how Nineveh responds. And so we're going to look at the different responses by looking at Jonah and Nahum. Therefore, taken from the tenor of each book, I have entitled this sermon series, Mercy and wrath. The idea behind the sermon series is to look at how a sovereign God extends mercy to these very likely sinners, right? We see this in the, in the book of Jonah. And then we will see how this same God is just and good when he extends his, what I, what I call his retributive justice on sinners. That's the book of, of Nahum. So, I mean, let me just begin to kind of frame this for you. We're all cool with talking about the mercy of God, right? Um, nobody's pushing back on that. We will, we will see in the book of Jonah how the prophet Jonah does wrestle with the merciful God of the universe. But my guess is we are not as comfortable talking about 
the wrath of God. It's not like you're gathering around your holiday uh, table for dinner and uh, talking about the wrath of God. We're, we're not as comfortable saying out loud things like, God hates sin. Uh, we're not as comfortable talking about a God who takes action against sin. His actions being retributive. Uh, retributive means a wrong action receiving its proper judgment. We're going to wrestle with, with all of this and more in the weeks ahead because, because we need to have a picture of God that speaks to us from the Scriptures. We need to have a picture of God that is from the Bible, uh, not simply a, a caricature of Jesus that we picture in our brain, right? Uh, oftentimes, the caricature of Jesus in your brain is more of a picture of you than what the Bible says about God. So we're going to be dealing with some really weighty questions in the week ahead, in a few weeks ahead. As we hone in on Jonah, we see the main idea of the book isn't different than what we saw last week when we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord. Um, Jonah centers on a grand theme in the Bible, the manifestation of God's unmerited grace and mercy to those who have sinned against him. Uh, the book of Jonah fits into God's grand plan to, re- to redeem his elect people through Jesus Christ. It, it extends back to Abraham when God promised Abraham that from that seed will come a Savior. And obviously, as we saw last week, it, it extends ahead when we saw and we looked at Matthew 12 and Christ used the um, experience that Jonah had to talk about his own crucifixion and resurrection. With all that as a short introduction, I'm, I'm going to pray and then we'll continue this sermon series by walking through this short but wonderful book of Jonah. I invite you to pray with me. Father, what we need more than anything is to have soft hearts to receive all that you have spoken in your word. So help us, O oh God. Uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would um, do a good work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As a parent, I I find myself coaching my kids in situations where I want them to see the end result. Uh, The end result helps to inform how they are to proceed in the present. Uh, For example, if I tell my kids that we're going to go down to the river to look at the eagle's nest, because there's like this big eagle's, eagle's nest, uh, down by the river where we live, uh, my kids now generally know what to do. They, they know to wear their muck boots. That's what we tell them, wear your muck boots. It's going to be muddy. Uh, they know that they need to bring binoculars. If you're going to go see the eaglets, you need your binoculars. Uh, they know if mosquitoes are out that they need to grab the organic non-deet essential oil spray that does nothing to fight mosquitoes. They've been told that's what it does, but it doesn't work. But they grab it nonetheless. In, in other words, they know the routine. They know the routine. Over time, they have learned the expectations, right? If we're going to go do this, these are the expectations in order to get to that. During uh, much of Jonah's prophetic ministry, and there's some conjecture here, he knew the routine. It seemed to, he seemed to understand the expectations. We read in 2 Kings 14 that God uses Jonah to prophesy about the extension of Israel's borders. So, We have the book of Jonah, but we see Jonah pop up in other places in the Bible. Jonah's prophetic word would have been good news, at least the prophetic word that we read about in 2 Kings 14, right? 
the borders of Israel are going to be extended. And, and this prophetic word comes at a time where there's an ungodly king on the throne, Jeroboam II. Because of Jonah's patriotism, he would have been happy to deliver good news about the country and culture he loves. As Pastor Timothy Keller points out, he says, Jonah had supported Jeroboam's aggressive military policy to extend the nation's power and influence. The original readers of the book of Jonah would have remembered him as intensely patriotic, a highly partisan nationalist. But what happens if God were to ask Jonah to deliver a different message to another people? What if God had asked Jonah to deliver a message that was not consistent with his routines or expectations? Well, this is exactly what happened. In Jonah 1, verses 1 to 6, we see God giving Jonah a task that he was not comfortable with. God gave him a task that, and from Jonah's perspective, it it did not benefit Israel. So we see from this passage what it looks like for a man to attempt to not just flee the call of God, but to actually flee God. What Jonah will discover that nothing can stop the merciful mission of God, even when those God chooses are deliberately disobedient. So, in light of that, here's how I want to set up or, or frame um, these six verses. In these verses, we see God's command to Jonah. And following God's command, uh, we see Jonah's response to God's call. We also see God act, right? And from God's act, his providential acts, we see how Jonah responds, and then we see how the crew aboard the ship responds to God. So we're going to show, the, show what God is doing and then the responses to God. And then I'm going to end by showing you in this passage and the story that it tells about a merciful God on mission to see people repent from sin. And along the way, throughout this entire sermon series, especially as we're in the book of Jonah, we're going to learn a lot from Jonah. We're going to learn a lot about what not to do as we look at the life of Jonah. So here is the command the Lord gives to Jonah, which causes him to flee. Uh, Verse 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, uh, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. So first, let's make a couple observations about verses 1 and 2. The phrase, the word of the Lord, is repeated six more times throughout the book of Jonah. So, the repetition signals for us something God is obviously communicating. So, we want to pay attention every time we read the word of the Lord, right? Uh, We need to pay attention to that phrase. The second observation has to do with the first two words the Lord spoke to Jonah. Behind these two words is a sense of immediacy. So, arise, go. You need to go. Uh, God does not want Jonah to delay. He, he wants him to drop everything he is doing and go. Where does the Lord tell Jonah to go? Well, we know he tells him to go to Nineveh. So the Lord describes or ascribes two qualities to the city of Nineveh. It's great and it's evil. 
The Lord acknowledges its unrighteous stature, yet sees all the evil being done, not only by the people of Nineveh, but really the entire uh, Assyrian Empire at that time. Uh, the reputation of Assyria and Nineveh, Nineveh, one of the largest cities in Assyria, is earned for, its, for being brutal and merciless in war and in battle. Uh, they were unforgiving. They were an empire of intimidation through war. Now, what is going to be seen with Jonah is hinted at here. The Lord sees all things. The Lord sees the wickedness of Nineveh. I believe the perspective Nineveh has about spirituality, the world, and their actions isn't much different from people in this generation. Many people in the world today ignore God and assume that you know, God ignores them. Uh, many people believe that God set the world into motion just kinda, and allows it to continue to go on unnoticed. This, this text portrays God as one who does notice, as a God who is active and a God who takes sin seriously. God sees the wicked deeds of the Assyrians, and in particular here, the Ninevites. The Lord is not naive to all of its wrongdoing. And here is the sober reality for us. God sees our evil deeds as well. I do not say this like to scare you, you know, like, oh, he's talking about judgment and sin. It's not, that's not where I'm going here. I'm simply reminding you of what you should already know. If you can keep this truth in front of you, that the Lord sees all wickedness, then his mercy is all the more sweet. Part of the message God wants Jonah to deliver to Nineveh is to tell them that they are wicked and they need to repent. God wants Nineveh to know that he sees their evil deeds. And their only hope, the only hope for Nineveh, is for them to experience God's mercy through repentance. That's the call, right? That's the call of God that he gave to Jonah. Jonah's response to God is uh, interesting. It, it, It reminds me of a petulant child who is unwilling to obey his parents. Here's verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. What went through my mind when I read that and I was preparing for this sermon is this. What a fool. I understand why a person would flee a a so-called God or another individual that they do not know. I I would get that. But Jonah had been used by Yahweh. Jonah was his prophet. There's no one else for Jonah to serve. And for some reason, he thinks he can flee the presence of the Lord. It's like thinking that I'm going to go into the desert on a sunny day, in the daytime, and I'm going to find shade in the middle of the desert. Like, I'm not going to be able to escape the sun. It's not going to happen. Jonah would have done well to remember Psalm 139. It says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? The psalmist says. Where shall I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And that particular psalm just continues to go on to say, there's nowhere you can go to flee the presence of the Lord. So it's like, hey, Jonah, I just want to ask him, where, where do you think you can go? By fleeing the Lord's presence, Jonah announces emphatically his unwillingness to serve God. His action is nothing less than open rebellion against God's sovereignty. What makes Jonah's actions all the more concerning is that Tarshish would have been considered, in his mind, the other side of the world. Uh, Tarshish is the farthest point for him to flee. Uh, God wanted Jonah to go 500 miles east, but Jonah decides he wants to go 2,000 miles west and on a boat. In addition, Jonah probably would have had to have sell, sold everything he had. He would sell his home. He would, all he would have is what he had on his back in order to get on the boat and take it all the way to Tarshish. And the fact that he was willing to get on the boat, which during Jonah's time was risky. The boat certainly would not pass like any modern day's country's uh, safety regulations, right? It was dangerous. But nonetheless, while his actions are foolish, that does show ded- dedication. <laughs> not in a good way, but dedication to avoiding the call of God. Um, when, I, when I came to this uh, part in the sermon, I had simply asked this question to myself. I'll ask it to you. Uh, have you ever tried to flee God? If you have, what did you experience? Here's what I've experienced. There's not a closet I can go in to hide. Um, there's not a place I can run to. There's not a screen that I can lose myself in that ultimately allows me to flee the presence of the Lord. The theological term describing God in this passage is um, omnipresence. Uh, no matter where you go, you cannot escape God. Now, a couple clarifications here. God isn't deistic. Uh, after he created the universe, God didn't decide to kick up his feet on the recliner, uh, sip on some unsweetened iced sun tea to watch the world burn down. And God isn't pantheistic. God isn't identified by what he has created. No, what we see here is God is personal. And Jonah and you cannot escape the personal God of the Bible. So the question on the table at this point is why does Jonah see the need to try and flee from God? What is up with that? Why does he take such extreme measures when it seems God is calling him to do what he had already done, to preach, to prophesy? I have a couple reasons why Jonah uh, decided to disobey God's call. First, it could be that Jonah was fearful of the the Ninevites, right? He was well aware of their brutality. God was asking him to go into enemy territory and tell them to repent, right? 
It was, it was as, as if Jonah's like, I can't go there because I, I think I know what's going to happen to me. And imagine with me for a moment, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan, a rabid Chicago Cubs fan, that if I went to Bush Stadium in St. Louis, and I'm, and I'm decked out in my Cub gear, and I, I start telling all the St. Louis Cardinal fans, you need to repent, not only of your sin, but for being a Cardinals fan. Do you think I'm going to get out of there alive? Right? How much more would Jonah? I think he was afraid. That's one of the reasons why he didn't want to go. Second, and I think this is more serious, Jonah did not want God to give Nineveh the opportunity to repent. This reason is highlighted later in this prophetic book, but here is the deal with Jonah. He thinks he knows better than God. Jonah's view of the Ninevites blinded him from seeing the lavish mercy of God toward pagan sinners. What, what, what should we learn from Jonah's attempt to flee from the presence of the Lord? Well, we see Jonah did not trust God, and his lack of trust would have put him and others into grave circumstances. When you do not trust God, you end up putting yourself in turmoil. Perhaps your lack of trust puts you, puts you in circumstances that are unfortunate, right? But at the very least, we can say that you're not having trust in God puts your soul in turmoil. We should not be shocked by this. A lack of trust in God is, is sin. One of the perpetual calls of God throughout the entire Bible is what? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. You know, let me, let me ask the obvious question. Um, in this COVID-19 context, in this crisis, do you trust God? And do you trust God for your health, for your family's health, for your finances? What I am not saying is that trusting God makes everything okay, right? God isn't a genie that you rub on and you get three wishes. It's not what I'm talking about. Christians who trust God still get sick. What I am saying is that when you trust God, you find he leads you through the complexities of life. He leads you through the array of emotions. He guides you through the difficult circumstances. He is there for you when the darkness closes in. So when God speaks, and he continues to speak through his word, do not flee, but trust. Another point we can learn from Jonah's foolishness is that Jonah doubted the goodness, wisdom, and justice of God. I'm going to spoil the entire story of Jonah here, but I'm going to make a point for our lives right now. The way Jonah begins is the way Jonah ends. He continues to doubt the goodness, wisdom, and justice of God. But that doesn't need to be your story. Have you doubted God recently? You can change your trajectory right now. When the Lord speaks to you, trust Him. Do not doubt, but have faith in His goodness, wisdom, and justice. Again, in this COVID-19 crisis and context, there are a lot of people asking, why? Why God? And with the psalmist, we too could ask, why? But the question of why does not negate the goodness of God. As with Jonah, it seems to me God is always up to a greater good that sometimes, you know what, we're just unable to see. 
like Jonah, we, we strain to be like God when God is simply calling us just to trust in his character. We can trust in his goodness and his justice and his wisdom. So what can we learn about God from the command he gave Jonah? The God of the Bible has a heart for the nations. The God of the Bible has a heart for the nations. Here is the blind spot for Jonah that we should make sure is never a blind spot for us. God is compassionate and loving to more than just Israel. God wants people from all tribes and tongues and nations to worship him. God wants people from all across this globe to know his love. Jonah could not see a missionary loving God in Yahweh. Jonah was so wrapped up in his own nationality, he lost sight of what God was doing beyond his own borders. We must never be like that. What we see next from the Lord are not words, but his providential acts. He isn't going to let Jonah off the hook uh, for running, right? God does not let any of his children off the hook when they run. He loves you too much to let you go your own way. So we read in verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break out. I just imagine the ship breaking in two, right in the middle. Here, here we see God is sovereign over his creation. He speaks, and the wind obeys. He speaks, and the sea obeys. In a sense, the wind and the sea obey the Lord while Jonah runs from the Lord. From the Lord's actions, there are, there are two separate responses from the people on board this fledgling ship. Jonah should have remembered what it says in his Bible. For example, Psalm 95, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. The ship's response, the crew upon the ship, they had a practical response and a spiritual response to the torrent of wind and, and water. And unlike Jonah, they don't, they don't know the God that Jonah knows. But the response is really helpful. It says, the practical response is, it says they hurled cargo overboard to lighten the ship, right? The other instant reaction, the gut reaction, was spiritual. In their distress, they cried out to their own gods. The crew, it would have been diverse, therefore various prayers and pleads to various gods would have been employed, would, would have happened. Now, I believe there's only one god so the pleas and prayers would have ultimately been fruitless. Nonetheless, I, I do appreciate their instinct. I appreciate their instinct, especially when compared to Jonah. While the crew was struggling to keep the boat afloat, where was Jonah? He went down to the lowest parts of the ship and um, he took a nap. His instant reaction, unlike the crew, was to not help but sleep he did not pray to the one true god of the universe he slept it's almost as if jonah knew what god was doing and he tried to escape reality 
through his nap. As we read, the captain of the ship, which literally means the lead puller of ropes, uh, woke up Jonah and said, Arise! Call out to your God! Get up! Call out! Perhaps the God uh, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Uh, the Hebrew word for arise is the same word the Lord said to Jonah. Get up now. Be a person of action. The captain, knowing the situation is dire, doesn't tell Jonah to get on the deck of the ship and start pulling ropes. No, he says you should pray. Call out to your God. The, the captain links their present circumstances to a, to a spiritual matter. And the captain was right. The captain sees more clearly what is going on than Jonah. At the very least, the gut reaction of the captain and the crew is contrasted with what Jonah, as we've seen. Pastor Timothy Keller once again points out that a common grace is at work in these sailors. Common grace is not salvific. It doesn't save you, but, is, but it does show us how non-believers often act more righteously than believers despite their lack of faith. Whereas believers filled with remaining sin often act far worse than their right belief in God would lead us to expect. Beginning with these sailors, God wants Jonah and us to see that our belief in God must match our actions, what we do for God. In other words, don't be like Jonah. Sometimes, especially in our increasingly insulated personal worlds, it is very helpful to step back and ask the question, do my actions match my faith? Jonah would have been helped by stepping back and asking the question. Now, why is all of this happening to Jonah and the crew aboard the ship? I think there are lessons we are to see, moral lessons, as we look at Jonah. We are to, we are to see a few, we see a few in this passage, and there will be more along the way. Uh, but the reason why God is persistent with Jonah is to show us that God cares. And in particular, he cares and loves the nations. Yes, he hates sin, but through repentance, there is mercy. We have the advantage of seeing what God is doing in retrospect, right? We're reading about it. But we need to make sure that when we are in Jonah's position, our gut reaction isn't to flee, but it's to trust. As one commentator states it, the plans of a sovereign God are not so easily thwarted by the stubborn will of a puny prophet. God is on a merciful mission. It's this theme that runs through this book. It's this theme that is like a rod running through the entire Bible. Uh, the lack of mercy in Jonah's attitude and actions toward others reveals that he was a stranger in his heart to the saving mercy and grace of God. May we not be like that. So in closing, here is the tension you and I must resolve in our hearts. When God calls you, you can move forward with faith. Do not flee. You can't. And you can try, but ultimately you cannot flee the presence of the Lord. But trust that the one who knows you better than you has and will continue to call you 
to act for your own good, put you into action for your own good and for His glory, for God's glory. That's why we exist, to bring glory to God. Most significant Christian, God has called you to treasure Christ. Because Jesus died on a cross for your sin, you no longer need to flee, but you're forgiven. Because Christ rose from death to life, you no longer need to flee, but you have freedom. Freedom to trust in your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you show us in your word, what you've revealed. By the power of your Spirit, may it conform our lives more and more into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus. And I pray for those who have listened and trust that you're at work doing remarkable things, doing a million things we don't even know. But we trust because you are a good, merciful, and gracious God. Amen.